Hey everybody, time for another Shop Talk show. This is episode number 278. We have a special guest on from a major browser manufacturer and giant company in the world. Rhymes with Velcroloft or something. Anyway, dumb. But it's going to be an awesome show because we get to talk about lots of upcoming and arriving big deal web APIs, things that seem futuristic and newfangled and stuff, but are really making an impact in our, you know, as soon as they're more wider supported, are really going to change the web and how we think of it and how we build for it and what we're able to build for it and how the world thinks of the web, whether they know it or not. This is big deal stuff. Mr. Dave, please kick things off. Hey there, Shopamaniacs! You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rupert, and I am living on the edge. Chris <laughs> Boyer, why am I living on the edge today? Well, we have uh, we have a guest for the first time in a hot minute, which is which is good. Um, um, Patrick Kettner is here. Hey, Patrick. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Fantastic. Edge, you work for it. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am one of the wonderful people that work there. I've been there for like two years or so now. Wow, ancient history. Mm-hmm. Now and yeah, no, I'm one of. The, well, one well of tell the, us about it a little bit. What's it? I mean, you're. I mean, Edge, of course, being a Microsoft, a subdivision of of Microsoft. Right. But you're like a browser guy. Yeah, no, totally. Um, it's it's we're a tiny little team at Microsoft compared to the whole company. There's like thirty thousand people at the entire office uh, where we work, and so we are much, much, much smaller than that. But it is uh, awesome. We get to work with a whole bunch of really, you know, passionate and knowledgeable people, and uh, get to work on making the web better and you know kind of make up for the sins of internet explorer in a lot of ways and uh, yeah that's kind of been part of the message there mm-hmm. and i think it's it's working i think you know you still the can't. penitent browser shall pass <laughs> the penitent browser shall yeah. pass. i like to think so yeah i mean it's still like the i don't know i think the, the good message for it is like can you go to a conference and not get like a dumb ie sucks laugh no t- and like yeah it's you know it's great. Yeah. It's um, I always tell Ray Bango, who's been at Microsoft for a lot longer than I have, was one of the only kind of public IE people back in the day, and he used to get so much crap for that exact same thing. You know, having to deal with the you know dumb jokes, and I almost never get them at all now. And I fully credit you know him with you know paving the way with actually making us respected. Oh, nice, really, you rarely get. Them. Oh yeah, really rarely. I've had super easy mode working at Microsoft compared to people who've been there longer <laughs> than me. I mean, we it would even be a, it would seems like an obvious assumption that even the word edge is probably was probably part of a larger marketing effort oh, to put that behind. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, totally. Anyway, that's boring. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Let's talk about cool, interesting browser stuff because part of the fun of browser stuff is that it's not it, it all. It, Browsers get together yeah. on on things on APIs, and in fact, they kind of have to because if they didn't, I feel like we're the the vibe of the industry is we would swarm and be very mad at browsers if they tried to like shove APIs down our throat that had no buy in from any other browser. I think we're, we would still be mad about that. And rightfully yeah, no, so. totally. We we all meet like there was. I was at, literally at an event last night with uh, people from Google, from Mozilla, from Adobe, from a whole bunch of different companies. All and we all you know talked about 
know, what's going on? What should we work on? How can we make things better? And we, we very frequently are in contact with each other. We, we really are all team web. We're not, you know, trying to fight or none of us really dislike each other. It's all a bunch of great people working together. Yeah, it's funny. You think it would happen even more because of how complicated stuff is. For example, this is one that we're we're, we're tentatively going to title. This was Dave's idea of the, the top mm-hmm. five browser APIs that you're probably not using because Patrick is oh, very gosh. knowledgeable about uh, a bunch of m- very modern browser API stuff. So I thought it would be fun for this show to give everybody high level on some like really interesting things coming to browsers, some of them that you may have heard of or have heard the acronym or have seen think pieces about but uh, but don't know very much about. So I thought, God, what a, what a good opportunity um, to do that. But think of one, here's one that we won't do probably very much is service workers. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. <laughs> very cool though. Uh, and how complicated, like, isn't that, is, is, like, to, to integrate something like Service Worker into browsers, a major effort, isn't it? It seems, oh, absolutely. shouldn't engineers um, at different these different companies be all dang near sitting next to each other? Cause, but maybe not. Yeah, no, just uh, totally. I mean, like, there's, um, we have uh, face-to-face meetings when we're talking about uh, specification work, and then there's always, you know, calls every few days between um between the different uh, companies, there's a the engine. The, one of the uh, leads for this at Edge is a great guy called uh, Ali Alabas. He's one of the editors on the Service Worker spec, actually. But yeah, they're constantly working with each other, and they're working on um, a really great project called like the Web Platform Tests, which is this gigantic test suite for all um, mm-hmm. that all browsers run in their uh, in their that continuous integration environments. Smart, yeah. Yeah, no, it's great, and it's literally. I think we're over a million assertions at this point, and you know, like the more effort we get to put into that, and the more work that gets put into that, the less likely y'all are ha- gonna have bugs in your sites because you know all browsers will work the same way. So. Uh, like so, browsers do quite literally one million different things that you're responsible for. This is that's insane. Oh yeah, no, yeah, so and much this more than a million. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, well, but, yeah. We regularly complain about how little it covers compared to the entirety of, like you know, the actual web, or the, the actual possibilities of the web. So it's it's a huge portion of it. Yeah, but service workers are super um, complicated. You know, the exciting news actually is that Safari just publicly said that they're going to be. Um, yeah, that Safari is almost right more now. like the one we worry about these days because we hear so little about it, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh hi, we have service workers now. You're like, oh wow, that's cool. Right. Yeah, they don't have it yet. They just publicly committed. So, like, if you download the latest WebKit nightly, navigator.serviceworker is there, but it literally is null. Like, it doesn't doesn't do anything. But um, it's coming. It's just, it's a huge, you know, since ServiceWorker, all network traffic has to go through that. So, you know, your image requests, your AJAX requests, anything in the browser that goes through the network has to go through that. And previously, there's never really been a reason for browsers to have a single point of failure like that. And so it does mean that you probably have to re-engineer your entire networking stack. And so it's a huge, it's, it's a huge. And, and you know, it would pattern. almost be understandable if a large company just is like, mm, no, <laughs> which would suck. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I like, I honestly think if it wasn't for all the excitement and, you know, amazing stuff that people are already building on service worker in Chrome and Firefox and soon to be edge. Um, Safari would have just passed completely. Like the reason they're doing it is because people showed them there was value in it, you know. Right, and, and if that's you're how the browsers one make browser, decisions. It's like name and shame. It's like you're the one browser that doesn't do the cool stuff. It's like not Absolutely, a good look. Yeah, 
I mean, I was just I was um, reviewing some stuff yesterday on like the sheer amount of like specifications that are out there that you know we cover versus we don't cover and all the other browsers and um, it's it's insane the amount of stuff that's out there that literally no one's implemented or only like one person's implemented and so like there's almost a, a, a overwhelming amount of information and possibilities for all browsers to go and work on and so having like the clear indications that this is what people really really want is really really helpful you know what I mean like that's why we have like our um, user voice where people can go and vote on features and you know we have similar things for other browsers as well it really makes it like when people tell us what they want it makes our jobs a lot easier okay so for all those that have no idea what service workers is very sorry about that but we're going to skip over that one and get to one that's equally weird or weirder uh, and let's just start with Houdini and like, so can you tell us what your role is or what, and what quick, it is? Yeah, quick, just, a, just a quick tweet. two second thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Houdini is this really fascinating thing. Basically, um, there's this idea from like the, called the extensible web manifesto that came out a few years ago. And it's effectively like you should be able to build, we should be able, the browser should be giving people primitives, really, really low level things. And they kind of build on top of that to make whatever you want. Um, IndexedDB was a classic example of this where it's a super low level primitive where you can build databases on top of it. That's something that's built into all browsers now. Houdini is trying to do that same thing, but for basically all the CSS. It's a kind of a, just a code name for a collection of specifications that will allow you to do things like create your own CSS rules, uh, meaning literally you could create a new display type. So you could have something called like display shop talk. And when somebody does that, it automatically lays out the text in, in the shop talk logo. You'd have to you know write the algorithm to do it, but you could totally do something like that. Um, Houdini, uh, gosh, what all is there? There's the, um, these. So it really is that. It's like I can write a key, va- a new key value pair. And, and instead of what would normally happen in CSS, which is just like, I don't know what that is, skip. It would just yeah, totally yeah, skip exactly. it, right? If I write yeah. Patrick colon Kettner, it's going to be like, meh, mm-hmm. done. I don't care mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So, immediately, like, you could do, like, like have a theme val- property or something, and it's, like, theme shop talk or theme Oh, something. that's a good – that's I, that's what I want to focus on here. Is there an easy – what, what if theme red or something, then the Houdini APIs could see that you used it. What, what, what do they have access there to? They probably have access to the selector and the value – Oh, absolutely. So there's all kind. There's like eight or nine different specs that kind of cover this. And um, the really there, there's anything. F- uh, one of them is literally like a CSS custom properties API, which will validate. Um, it's similar to like the custom properties that are already. Sh- it's basically CSS variables that have been shipping pretty much everywhere for a little bit while, a little while now. And then there's also um, these things called worklets, which are kind of like uh, web workers, uh, which. Web workers, just a brief summary, is this thing that exists in all web, modern web browsers now, where it's basically a way to to run JavaScript in a different thread. It's this other execution environment where you don't have access to the DOM, but you can do, <coughs> excuse me, um, JavaScript calculations. So, like on modernizer.com, we do our full build of modernizer inside of web worker as you check stuff off so that it's like client side and works and gzip stuff so that it mm. tells you how tiny it'll be. So it's be like a little it communicates it can talk back and forth to the parent exactly. page but it doesn't uh, right. so if you're like scrolling up and down the page really fast that requires mm-hmm. that requires javascript and stuff to like be laying things out that that needs to exactly. be and if it was busy calculating 
it would uh-huh. probably hurt that scroll performance. Absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why web workers are great. Um, and uh, the thing you pointed out, the communication is um, interesting because you have to kind of send a string over to it and then you get you send a string back when it's done over this thing called post message. And th- that that's great for web workers and stuff. But when it comes to these things called worklets, you can't really have that same API. The point of a worklet is it's at the point where a browser is going to go lay out the page or going to go render the page or composite the page. Basically, all those little bars you see in Chrome Dev Tools that tell you where you should be faster. Um, all those individual pieces will have hooks, and you can effectively write a function inside of these worklets that will run whenever the page is laid out. So basically, it'll say, if, if a browser implements a Houdini, it will say, uh, you know, okay, I'm about to lay out. Do you have any things assigned to run at this time? If so, it runs your code. And that's where you'd be able mm-hmm. to create, like, say, a masonry layout in, in native using the exact same APIs that I, as someone who works on a browser, could write to make it, you know, fully native. So, you know, we shipped Grid there's five like a, years ago. There's like a disconnect in my mm-hmm. brain about this stuff, though, because, okay, I want to do a masonry. I mean, that seems complicated, but okay. Uh, what technology do I use to tell it, I you know, like, do I still need to use position absolute and top 892 pixels left 532 pixels and it that's just no. hidden? Well, it's up to you. Really, you can you can literally do anything. Uh, so the way that you would do it, it's it's literally the exact same possibilities you have as a browser engineer. That's the whole point of Houdini is to expose the okay. guts to you as an end user. And so what would probably happen if you were trying to create a masonry layout is you would use what's called a layout worklet, uh, what's currently called that. Um, this is something that's still being developed, so it could totally change if you're listening to this in the future. But the idea is it just exposes all of the concepts that exist within CSS specs. And so we're talking about um, uh, like bound, like box sizing, layout, um, so container, you need to box No, like load. there's some kind of technology totally, yeah. that, that, that paints something to the screen right where it should be. Yeah. And who knows what that API, like what? Uh, you know, like <laughs> Tab Atkins y- definitely knows. There's a hand. Yeah. There's a very small amount of people that know what this is, and they generally. It's not something that somebody's gonna be like, "Oh, interesting. I'm just gonna write that this weekend." You need to. You need to be a deep level nerd to make use. I'd actually push back on that a bit. I think that anybody can really do this. It just takes a bit of time to learn, just like anything else. Um, it's it's certainly currently kind of siloed knowledge just because there's not a lot of value for somebody to go in and be like, I'm going to go read all CSS specifications this weekend, you know, but like as, as, as we're one of the hopeful uh, parts of Houdini is that if we expose these internals to more people, we can have more collaboration and more work on specs from people that don't work on browsers. I would think when there's more, we really want Mm -hmm. straight up demos that you can fork that like do some of the boilerplatey stuff that get us going that a lot more will happen. Certain parts of it are actually already demoable in um, Chrome right now if you enable uh, experimental web features. Um, the Paint worklet, which is actually a lot easier to understand. Um, so layout was what I was just talking about. Paint is basically just giving you the ability to uh, control how pixels are rendered. And the API is literally basically just a canvas context. And so whatever you want to do, you output. Yeah, I remember we were at the, the same, same conference context. and Philip Walton demoed that like like it was like draw a circle or something. And he used Canvas APIs to because there is no draw circle in CSS. We're all aware of that, right? Yeah, you can't. I mean, you can do border radius 50% on something. We're talking about like literally drawing like a background circle on something. So he like invented a new 
CSS key value pair kind of deal uh, that took properties of how to draw that circle. And then it drew it with canvas. And that one hit home because it's like, oh, I get it. But ultimately, the APIs that you're working with look like canvas. So that's what I meant about what are the APIs that look like layout? You know, those are that's like a little less obvious. (laughs) Well, it's funny because that's one of them that hasn't shipped anywhere. See, one interesting thing about this is that they're trying to make it so that the layout APIs match the specification. So because that kind of just makes sense. But what's funny is most of the browsers are much older than the concept of CSS layout. Like even though Chrome's kind of new, it inherited WebKit, which inherited KHTML. So they, uh, Chrome has actually been working on a full layout rewrite for over a year now, just because their concepts of what existed inside of their layout engine were in no way similar to what existed in CSS specifications. There's this like, they understood the concept and they were this back and then they completely translate it to this other system they have in place and so um it's 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 this huge rework going on to make it so that it's you know fast and useful for people outside of browsers and isn't that kind of what uh mozilla is doing with servo i'm I feel like we're tossing around buzzwords here but they kind of they went and they just redid their whole layout engine in Rust or something? Yeah, so Servo is their rewriting their entire browser, basically. Stylo is the is the CSS engine part of okay, that. Okay, there you and go. And that's actually just started shipping, I think, yes, like this week in Nightly by default in Firefox. And that, what uh, Rust is another programming language that's basically replacing C++ for a lot of things at Mozilla. Um, it's an awesome systems language and is you know type safe and can't really have memory errors the same way as C++ can. It's, it's a much, much better language, in my opinion, at least. And uh, Stylo is a new CSS engine that was written in Rust. And they're already seeing uh, big performance gains. I was talking with some of those little guys last night, and they said that it's like a 10 or 15% of what the style calculations used to be in Stylo now. It's it's really, really impressive. It's going to make people's probably feel that, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, it feels faster. You should definitely check it out. And I feel like I read a post on the Edge blog. Like, Edge went through and, like, didn't you redo the rendering tree entirely kind of like you piecemeal shipped like, like a a new rendering tree. (laughs) Yeah, no, we, we've been piecemeal shipping a whole bunch of stuff. Like it's, you know, we're replacing the jets on the engine while we're flying, but um, we replaced a a rendering tree. We completely redid our accessibility tree uh, a couple of releases ago. Um, You know, we're doing huge amount of work on our Dom system right now. Like just everything is, is kind of going through huge, you know, rewrites trying to be as you know fast and efficient as possible. And what, so I guess, yeah, like, so you're basically, I, I mean, IE, who is Edge's, uh, I guess, parent. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> it's not wrong. Uh, ancestor. Yeah. Um, th- I mean, that was developed at a time when Microsoft was king. There are probably, I mean, there, there are probably 10,000 developers who touched that code or something, <laughs> you know, yeah. obnoxious, right? Yeah. And just created this thing, this just kind of, I guess whatever our stigma of IE. I'll call it monstrosity. Um, monstrosity. Okay, good. Monstrosity. And Edge is having to kind of. I know they forked and said like we're just doing modern now. Um, none of the legacy document modes. But I mean, and now Edge is going through and kind of revamping that whole entire engine. Totally. I, what does this mean for browsers? It sounds like all the browsers are kind of like like saying getting into that code they're afraid to touch and just like <laughs> ripping it open and sure. exposing the bleeding heart. And what, what does that mean? Are we going to be in a place where um, browsers are able to move faster and better? And, oh, and- shoot. Yeah, totally. I mean, we, you know, we, 
features now are coming so much faster than they used to, and a huge part of that is you know the work that a lot of these browser teams have done to you know modernize their code and to get to you know modern versions of C that are powering it, and you know to to really raise expectations of how fast you ship. I mean, we're one of the slowest shipping browsers now, but we're still doing it every six months or so, and that's you know amazing because you know I used IE6 for a good four years without ever changing anything, and so we, yeah, no, the browsers are definitely going to be coming faster. They're definitely going to be getting more. Um, features and more fixes quicker. Well, okay, and let's pause that to say end game with Houdini is, let's say everybody buys into it, everybody's got it implemented, it's shipping everywhere in all browsers. That's going to change this game again, isn't it? In that it, browsers won't need to sh- won't need to like roll the dice on something like a new layout model because a website could just ship a new layout model and if it got really totally. popular then it could move make its way into CSS right or Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean that's really one of the main tenets of Houdini is the idea that there's it's horrible to polyfill any CSS feature right now. And if you wanted to create your own idea, like masonry layout, which is something that's incredibly popular on the web, um, there's no way to really effectively polyfill that. You have to do a ton of crazy JavaScript in order to get it to be performant. And if everyone was uh, implementing Houdini, which obviously there's no guarantee that that's going to happen, but hopefully, um, it, it, it would mean that you know as browser engines, we wouldn't need to necessarily chase whatever new layout thing is. We can wait for people to start using it, notice that it is already successful, and then it would be much easier to sort of bring in and pave that cow path um, inside of browsers. And so, yeah, no, totally. It, it would definitely change the game and it would let people have, you know, completely brand new features. Like if we created a new display type, you know, we, uh, we wanted to create that display type shop, shop talk, uh, and the edge team, you know, just creates a Houdini file for it or a bunch of files for it. And then everybody in every browser automatically can use it. We don't have to wait for the Chrome team or the Firefox team or the Safari team to do it. Yeah. So it would be a huge win for the web. It's not as dangerous as shipping, a new property just you mm-hmm. know, like that feels like isn't that scare that's like what we get mad about right it's like don't do that that's not, we're, we're ready for that people are going to use that that's why <laughs> there's flags yeah. and stuff now but i wonder if mm-hmm. in a way houdini's just as dangerous you know <laughs> oh totally i mean it's, it's it's sort of you know a huge gambit on whether or not it's actually going to be useful because in order for it to be standardized that means that all the browser engines have to do the same thing right they can't do kind of weird tricks internally to make something faster or to make something different and so it it, we if people do implement there's probably going to have to be a trade-off to a certain extent of to you know what happens inside might not fully match what happens in houdini land so it's definitely going to be interesting to see how it plays out between the different browsers This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Git Kraken. G-I-T, that kind of Git. Like GitHub, GitLab, only Git Kraken, like the giant squid, K-R-A-K-E-N. Git Kraken integrates with GitHub and GitLab, but it's GUI software for dealing with Git, which I love and need and want. I know other great developers, not that I'm a great developer, they're great developers, that really like visualizing Git with software. I want to look at a list of all my branches and commit history and what was merged with what. It just makes sense as a visual thing. You know, in Git Kraken, you can just drag and drop branches together to do merging and rebasing and pushing and resetting and all that stuff, which is great. And like I said, it integrates with GitHub and Bitbucket and GitLab and the things you need to use. Oh, by the way, it's free for non-commercial use, which is great. If you need to use it for commercial use and unlock some additional features, 
uh, again, go to getkraken.com slash shop talk. There's a video there that you can watch that will get you caught up on all this stuff. But use coupon code shop talk while you're there to get 10 bucks off when you're upgrading for that commercial use stuff. So release the Kraken, as they say. Go to getkraken.com. Check it out. Slash shop talk. All right, very fancy API here. Mm-hmm. Um, we did web workers a little bit, so let's. Get, let, I, I feel like the. Wh- what do you want to skip to? I actually know the least about the fourth one on our little list here, which is web auth. I li- I know what auth mm-hmm. is. In fact, I worked on a little auth this week on a thing, but I didn't know that browsers were getting involved here. Is it the same kind of? You tell me. What the heck is web auth? So WebAuth is super exciting. It's actually way more further along than Houdini, which Houdini to for everyone to ship is years away from now. Auth, uh, WebAuth is actually like probably within the next year, like the next 365, pretty much everyone will probably be shipping this. Um, it is uh, new JavaScript APIs that allow you to not have your users have to use passwords. Uh, so you can hook into um, stuff like uh, your... Um, uh, what are they, the USB keys that can generate a password for you? You know, for like mm-hmm. extra security things. Uh, dongle, UB keys, very good. Yeah, the, uh, the dongle stuff you can hook in directly to that, and uh, so that when you know, if you have on you know Shop Talk or uh, uh, CSS Tricks, if you wanted to log into your you know WordPress admin without having a password, so it has to be a physical key, you can hook into these new Web Auth APIs to do that. Um, there's also uh, the uh, it exposes this concept that's called FIDO, which is like federated identity something 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 and it's basically a, a protocol that allows p- any kind of different identity um, thing hook into it and so you can do really cool stuff like hook into windows hello so which is like the camera uh api so like uh dave uh, you've gone windows uh i i have gone windows i ha- it's windows hello it's on my surface book and what is it i loved it so- okay you open up your laptop the camera kind of turns on and it logs you in with your face. Oh, it looks like at you and does in in like two seconds. I don't even touch the keyboard. It can snipe me from over a meter away. It's <laughs> beautiful. I I love it so much. I got like a Windows Hello camera for my desktop because I was just was like, I want to sit down at my desktop, like hit the keyboard to turn on the computer and then log me in. And it's pretty and good. Like if literally something. anybody else in the world sits down on your computer, it's not going to unlock for them. Correct. Yeah. yeah so, so Windows Hello is not it's not a picture. It's not like that Android where I trick my Android phone with the the photo. It actually takes a 3D scan of your face. Like it's Microsoft Connect technology or whatever. It takes a 3D scan of your face and then it like does some infrared to like make sure like blood is pumping uh, through your face or something. No photos. Like, photos it, do not work. No Correct. photos. And so like it like makes sure you have a pulse, you know, and it makes sure your face is right. And like I actually had to like I had to register myself three times: once with my face, once with uh, headphones on, and then once with wet hair. Because <laughs> like I, sometimes I come to the office after a shower, and like it just be like I don't know who you are. And it's like oh, oh it's because my hair's wet. So I thought I was a different person. So what did you so just have to wait until your hair dried and then? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I was locked out of my computer. No, it gives you like a type in password bailout, but. Um, but yeah, anyway, but that technology oh, so it's is coming just, to the it's web. It's convenience only. Yeah, no, it's it, it, well, it's a different way to log in and one way where you don't actually have to send in your password. Like this all happens locally on the device. Um, and so 
yeah, no, you can that ability. So you could totally have a login with your face on your website starting um, probably this next release of Edge that's coming out in the fall. Um, and then like, but also like Touch ID or something for your mm-hmm. Mac or your yep. iPhone could also, in theory, hook into this. API. Absolutely, yeah. No, any any kind of secure way of uh, authentication. So totally, your Touch ID could totally hook into this. Your Apple Watch, yeah. I don't understand this. Maybe this is too technical for a podcast, but um, how how does my website know my my face validated or my fingerprint? Like, sure, right. so my device says, yeah, it is this person. But does how does the website care about? That? Well, we index everyone's face on the world. No, um, perfect. Yeah, perfect. No, no, no. <laughs> That's just what I want. Microsoft. Yeah, yeah no, no. Absolutely. We have this program called Skynet. It's really great. Um, yeah. So, no, what happens is your face is associated with a Windows account locally on your device. And so what we what the uh, web auth APIs will would do is basically c- expose the idea of a confirmed version of that account. And so it would just give back, uh, I don't know if token is the right word for technically speaking, but we can just call it a token casually. It'll give a token that basically says, this is Dave, or like, I know Dave and this is Dave. And you know, we don't, we, you don't send the photo to your server or anything like that. You just get this token and you send it up to your authentication server. Uh, and you know, it just confirms that it is a valid key that's been signed and everything else. And then, uh, so if I uh-huh. wanted to log into CSS tricks. Mm-hmm. I would have to like somehow. I would have to do it through my Hotmail address. Is well, like so Chris, Chris would have a um, to have a server that understands this kind of authentica- uh, authentication. But then after that, it would just be you know your account would be associated with it in some way. You know, and you can associate your Windows Hello account to be with any uh, account. But yeah, it would have it would it's sort of, think of it kind of like a sign in with Facebook or sign in with Google. Only you know sign in with your face. So okay, so it almost you'd need like. Technically, to set it up, you need like a almost like a change password form, but like a register your face. <laughs> no, then, yeah, no. Again, the, the like, photos aren't given to the server. Like Chris would never see your face if this yeah, if he yeah. ran the server. It would totally just be exactly like a sign in with you know Google or Outlook or whatever today. It would it would be you know it would say like register with your system's um, authentication. So if you're on an iPhone, it could be you know your fingerprint. If it was on your, your Surface Book, it could be your face in Windows Hello, and it would just kick out to kind of a system prompt where you do a thing that authenticates you, including Windows Hello. And then it sends back the results of that information up to you know CSS tricks. That's where that's the where the confusing part is though. Like what's traveling across the wire at that point? Is it basically just like a thumbs up? Like yep, it, it's, it's, a, it's a token that represents your account. Okay, um, so it, for that for that site for that like site, yeah. Site yeah, every site, every site to look would be at unique. that token and it decide for itself if it's good or yeah. bad. Ooh. Yeah, there the, there'll be like um, some reference servers, but they would need to be just like how you would have a way to compare passwords against you know the hashed values of everything else if you're doing passwords in a secure manner it's not like it's not like my website is be like if if a yes if true is sent back from the api and then log them in no yeah it's like a session token (laughs) the way that you would have today (laughs) yeah no it's not like totally a wink and a nod that gets sent over (laughs) the wire or anything but they're good um, they're good (laughs) totally unspoofable yeah no, it's it's actually really great, and one of the cool things is even if you don't want to, you know, use your face, that you can even use a pin, like a four-digit pin. And what's great about that, because well, it kind of, when I first heard about it, I was like, how is you know my my credit card pin more secure than my thirty-digit thirty-character password? The pin decode only happens completely locally on the device, 
And so it's actually more secure because there's no way that it can be intercepted on the wire. Whereas if, you know, you type in your Gmail password or something, if someone could, you know, intercept the concept and break the SSL or whatever, they might be able to decrypt it. But the pin can be completely local hardware to the device. And so you can have a really simple to remember password and, uh, you know, that is a pin and it, it's, you know, still very secure. Pretty cool. So that's WebBot. Yeah. It's a browser APIs that you're probably not using just to tie it together to the to the world. Um, and then related to that, just because we, we're just keeping trucking here on these APIs that are pretty cool, um, let's do web payments as well. Totally. It's funny. They uh, WebAuth and web payments kind of get bundled together for some reason. I think it's just because people that uh, you know do web payments frequently have some kind of account associated with it. But web payments is really exciting. It's a way to hook into... Um, basically system wallets. Uh, so like uh, uh, Apple shipped something kind of like this about a year ago on the iPhone where now you can use Apple Pay in Safari. Uh, so you can totally like go to uh, a website like Uber's um, PWA that they started shipping, ride.uber.com, I believe uses this. Or if you log in to your Uber account in Safari, you can pay with your fingerprint and it hooks into the system's uh, Apple Pay system. And, you know, it's that wasn't technically the official um, web payment spec. It was sort of like a forked, weird version of it. Kind of Safari tends to do that with some of their APIs. Mm -hmm. But um, web payments is that basically that concept. So uh, Edge has been shipping this for about a year and it gives uh, websites the ability to or rather gives users the ability to give websites their stored credit card information in their Windows wallet, stuff they've used in the uh, Windows store. And it's great if I, I come from an e-commerce e background i worked at like urban outfitters and walmart and a whole bunch of other um big e-commerce places and <clears throat> dealing with people's credit cards is always a you know, security nightmare you have to have be pci compliant and it's this huge pain in the butt and so if you were a small company or an individual it's really really you know stressful to deal with any of the payment stuff that's why a lot of people use you know stripe or paypal or other uh, payment options like that and as a this user, is not a replacement for stripe or paypal or anything no no no. stripe or paypal would be a kind of a part of this because uh, as a user it sucks to have to continually give that same information over and over again and yeah. so web payments is an api that lets you hook into existing payment systems so it could hook into stripe but it could also hook into you know your your android wallet your uh windows wallet your ios uh is it all do we all call them wallets apple pay apple pay thank That's you the very thing much. is it like it it's it could be anything right it's, mm -hmm. it's like it's compelling like it's easy to think about as oh i got all my credit cards here in my like safari saves them for me so mm -hmm. why have to type it in why can't it just cough them up in some standardized browser format kind of way or i have in my microsoft wallet so why can't they just right. cough it up through the website in some way so it's kind of like just the it's like an the the end goal is like nicer ux Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we're basically you would just do a feature detection to check whether or not this payment request API exists. And if it does, you just pop up an experience, be like, pay with Apple Pay or pay with Windows Wallet or whatever, you know, it happens to be rather than a user have to fill out, you know, four forms of information that is sure. Like, even really if I have one password or something, which I do, yeah, it's even totally. easier than that because it's just a 
yeah. it's just there. Yeah. No, it, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, you don't have to continually re-enter your shipping address, your billing address, your credit card information on every new site you go to. You just do it the one time. And while Chrome and Safari and Edge have made it a lot easier to fill out forms automatically based on the saved data or the data you elect to save, it's still kind of, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I regularly have to fix because, you know, it puts my last name in the email slot or something. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing how th- it's their business to make it good. And it's not still not good. Yeah. Well, yeah, you were at Wufu, right? You know how terrible a lot of people's forms are. Uh, yeah. That aren't using Wufu. And it, it, it can be really stressful as a user and, you know, if that's making your money as a, as a developer. So any place where you can, re- you know, replace a huge form with a single button click, I think is a huge win. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? I think isn't the, isn't the, like even in, I mean, it's much nicer on mobile. Just think, you know, mobile rules, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. But even on like desktop Chrome, I think their plan is, you know, I don't know, you save a credit card and some kind of modal comes up that's like, built into Chrome or something mm-hmm. and it shows you which credit cards have been saved in there and you just kind of click the one you want to use and mm-hmm. that's uh, that seems great you know even the yeah, desktop no, it, experience will be sweet theoretically yeah totally oh absolutely yeah and you can totally check this out in edge today um, the the Chrome experience that a lot of people are familiar is a bit different that's an autocomplete uh, which is you know similar but and much better than having to fill it out by hand but you know once you can integrate directly into the system you could like on your new macbook pros where it has the the touch id and the in the touch bar you could totally just press your finger there and completely check out everything you know that could be your authentication that could be your payment api it could be everything you could pay with one tap if the developer builds that experience what, what may be a little confusing to some people about this is so that you still need Author, authorize.net or Stripe or PayPal or whatever because, yeah, like browsers aren't probably ever going to be in the business of actually taking money from credit cards for you. So this is just an API and it's for UX experiences, right? If you think about it, I mean, Google owns Android, so they definitely pay process payments all the time well windows has the windows store apple has apple wallet and so it uh, depending on how the wallet is integrated you could totally do it without having to go through authorize or stripe uh, that being said authorize and stripe are both wonderful companies that do a lot of great things besides just processing your credit card and so i you know it's still worthwhile doing business there but if you for some reason, i mean it doesn't exist now though you'd need some kind of account they'd need to deal with fraud stuff there there'd need well, to be like graphs apple pay and charts and yeah. If you can, if you hook into Apple Pay and Safari, you don't have to go through. It goes through the Apple Pay payment process. Oh, really? You, know, you get. Yeah. No. It's it's it's. It goes to your developer ID or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but there is some kind of admin area where you can go in and see charges and refund people, and so they have the infrastructure for that. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, and so I mean, like, it's up to obviously developers how they want to collect their money. But theoretically, we could live in a world where you wouldn't have to ha- have to have a um, you know payment processor yourself. You wouldn't. You know, it could be your Apple Pay, Windows, and the Play Store. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's almost like an unfair advantage to the to the. I mean, I don't know if it's unfair or not, but I wonder if Stripe worries about stuff like that. Like if because they don't they're a member have of the a working browser group, actually. Are yeah. They? No. I mean. Yeah. No. They're a member of the working group, and they can help you know, make sure that they, we are doing things in a secure way. Cause you know, God forbid the working groups get excited about something and, you know, put users at risk. Not that that's happened or is happening, but it's great to have industry experts in there to make sure that we're doing, you know, the best, you know, people that have that, you know, we have the correct fraud expectations. We have the correct security expectations, um, you know, with people that know exactly what they're talking about here. So what's, I can, again, probably not great for radio, but what is the like integration path? If I want to use web payments mm-hmm. on my e-commerce site, I sell t-shirts mm-hmm. for shop talk. 
what is the path I, I have to do if payment in, you know, window.navigator uh-huh. or something, right? And then I, and then it's, it's a collection and, or it collects some data, like the shipping, the billing, mm-hmm. and then it gives me JSON back or what, what, I guess, what's the integration path? Once For sure. Um, so I believe it's navigator.payment request, if memory serves, or window.payment request. Sorry, I should have checked before I joined the call. Um, it is, And that's just something you check, like you said, at a global level. So if it doesn't exist, you fall back to whatever existing checkout experience you have. And if it does exist, it gives you, it's just a single API that you call with a little JSON object blob with a couple of different options, stuff like uh, include shipping or include um you know, that this is a credit card, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to request credit cards where you could also say, I want to request something like PayPal inside of that. Um, you know, basically just the type of payments you're willing to accept. And then, uh, once that's all complete, it would, uh, it can do a whole bunch of different things depending on how you, you set it up. Like in the version that shipped in edge originally is effectively a, um, a form autocomplete. Uh, it, so it uh, it jumps you out, it jumps out the user to so if you do a payment request and you request a credit card it jumps the end user out to the Windows Wallet experience where they're able to check uh, check off whatever um, credit card they want to use and then once they and I mm-hmm. and that works on like Xbox yep. like that that's a very like yeah that's a big thing a yeah big no it's it's super it's exactly the same experience you use on Xbox or anything else totally and uh, I guess to Hololens if they sell something there it would work there uh, and. Yeah, so you they they select whatever credit card or information they want to do, and then that uh, plops back in and basically fills out uh, the form. Uh, in the current version of Edge, you would get you know a, a JSON object that would represent that. In other versions of um, web payment, as they get more integrated, like with um, the Apple Pay on iOS Safari, you get effectively again kind of a, a token that represents an event. It's sort of hard to do on radio, like you said, but it, it's basically just saying uh, you you send a request to the device that says, "Hey, Apple, I want to charge, you know, Chris fifty dollars for this awesome T-shirt," and then Apple Pay goes out and does its thing, and assuming that Chris passes all you know, fraud checks and has the money in his account or whatever, it get, comes back with a, "Hey, Chris just gave you fifty dollars. Here is a transaction ID." And then you send that up to the server, and you know, then people, you know, ones and zeros get passed between our banks. Bank or if it'd be, gosh, you you do have to de- deal with two separate APIs returning data, possibly in two different ways. Uh, well, so uh, you mean between like the form fill version and like, the Safari? Yeah, right. I mean, it's like I don't know. Hopefully, the you can design them to be similar-ish. So, yeah, no. So like the form fill is more of a way to help people. Um, ease onto it because you know if you're collecting money today it's probably through some kind of a form and it'll be years before it's not a form i mean if you you, nobody's going all in on payment web payments like right now you could think of it as a way to be like i don't know if they happen to be on something that absolutely supports this like chances are conversions will be better because it's a way nice experience gosh yeah 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 i know that that, totally i mean you can look into numbers on how you reduce the number of form you know input boxes or buttons people have to click to give you money and they will give you more money um you know, just it's, and so it like on, on, sorry, on wind on windows, none of my, or I don't, none of my family have one password. So they're not, you know, none, none of them are using one password, but anyone who has, I probably bought something from the windows store, like Minecraft or something probably has a Microsoft wallet 
of some kind attached to their account. So the the number of people who have a credit card on file is pretty huge at the OS level. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, uh, yeah, a lot. Of, uh, there is a non-small amount of people that have credit cards on file. Non-small, non-small. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. And it's um, you know, it, it's it's great as a you know as a when I don't know about you, but when I go to like my my partner shops on Etsy or other sites a lot, and so when you know you get to a website that isn't Amazon or you know Walmart or Target, the major sites that you have to re-give out your credit card information, you're almost like Ugh, again, you know, I have to go find the credit card, um, at, you know, dig out my wallet or whatever. And it, it's there's a, a mental barrier to get there, but if I can literally just push a button and it's a secure you know, um, version of that card. It, 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 it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's the card that's kept in a secure way. Rather, it, it makes it a lot easier for me to give people my money. And, um, yeah. So as far as there being like, you know, two different versions of it, there's one of them, the, the form fill is something that kind of has to exist today. And then the other version that, that sort of, um, that token version that represents the concept of a payment being made is sort of what we like to think of as the future. That way that websites don't have to handle credit card information at all if they don't want to, you know, it, it gives people the ability to basically let you know, Microsoft or Apple or whatever company, uh, the user's devices on handle that transaction for them. And so it can, it's sort of a one, you can think of it as sort of a today versus the future sort of an experience. And hopefully we're all moving towards the future really soon. It's interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm 95% sure that we, you know, like for example, on CodePen, you can sign up mm-hmm. for a pro account and there's a form and you can fill it out with your credit card information and hit it. But it's designed such that never does your credit card hit a code pen owned server. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that's the case for every single thing, but that's just, I think that's what Stripe suggests or demands. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I mean the the PCI compliance, which is like the legal regulations in America around credit card handling are extremely uh, harsh and difficult to maintain too. And that's why, you know, people pay Stripe or any of those similar companies just because it's, they, they're able to maintain that level of security and, um, it's a great idea to never touch credit cards if you don't have to for that exact reason. It's a huge pain in the butt and it exposes you for libel if, um, liable rather, uh, if there's ever a, uh, <laughs> a you know, really credit card insulting transaction. credit card. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So like if there happened to be, you know, if, if I signed up for a CodePen account and then all of a sudden I started getting random transactions in Madagascar on my credit card and you guys were handling my credit card, you might be liable for all those transactions. Right. You know, Visa I think we were, we were accused of that one time and we're like, I'm telling oh, you, gosh. we don't have it. It wasn't <laughs> us. Just yeah. And that's and by implementing stuff like web payments, it makes it even easier to be one of those people to never have to touch a credit card. You know, it, it makes it a lot simpler and hopefully a lot more uh, easy for people to integrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. I, I can't wait for that. I don't think I have I have yet to check out somewhere that has used it, but I look forward to it because it seems pretty sweet. Yeah, no, it's great. There's a couple of websites that do Apple Pay uh, on your on an iPhone if you happen to have one. It's a great experience. I really recommend you guys try it. It's supposed to be on uh, desktop Safari now too, isn't it? Apple Pay. I think it's in the like the tech previews, but I honestly am not sure. Uh, maybe. Um, I don't have a MacBook that with. And then the it's like it needs pad. that to ship, and then it needs the provider to ship it. So I th- I think through Stripe offers it now. Like there's some. Yeah. Yep. 
Stripe offers uh, can hook into the Apple Pay. Um, so like when you give those seven lines of code or whatever it is to, to hook into Stripe, they'll automatically detect that you're on a um, Apple Pay uh, d- supported device. And that'll be one of the options where they can fill out a credit card or fill out or just pay with Apple Pay. Right. And yeah, so that could totally good. be. Yeah, and that could totally be. It's most likely the way that most people will experience, you know, web payments. There's and won't so be a whole bunch of people of it. implementing so I, it. If we really we don't sell Shop Talk Show T-shirts at the moment, but I do sell Code Pen shirts and uh, CSS Trick shirts. And so, yeah, that level is it's a WordPress site in which I've installed WooCommerce, and WooCommerce you integrate Stripe, and in uh, and then you through the WooCommerce side click the button that says I I'm willing to also accept Apple Pay on it and fill out that information. It's like God, there's so many levels of this. It is just turtles all the way down. There's a whole bunch of things to it. But theoretically, a company like WooCommerce is already working on or already has potentially a web off. They're the ones who would Absolutely. care, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's a great point that I should have made is that most of the um, for most of these APIs, whether it's you know Houdini, WebAuth, Web Payments, uh, a lot of developers will never touch them directly. You know, this will be library code. You know, this is, this is something that makes companies like uh, WooCommerce or Stripe the, make them do their job better. And you know, we just pull in those libraries that know what they're doing, and you get a reap the benefits that they're writing code. You know, gets you. Yeah. That's that's my favorite kind of API. The ones where you just <laughs> wait and good things happen. Absolutely. <laughs> this episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you by Rollbar. That's rollbar.com. It's full stack error monitoring for your web app. It's like ridiculously easy to install and works in all kinds of major languages and frameworks and just everything. A JavaScript app with any framework. Python, Ruby, PHP, Java.net, iOS stuff, WordPress, Rails, whatever. Whatever, you install it in there, and it and it, and it captures and tracks the errors that have. I'm saying there's about a 100% chance that your app is throwing errors of some kind, probably errors that users are seeing, too. How do you know that that's happening? Where do they go? Do you have it set up to, like, email yourself or whatever? We've all done that to some degree. No, you need to be tracking them for real. You need to know how often they're happening. It'd be nice to look at a stack trace. It'd be looked at when it happened. Uh, And so Rollbar is that. It's like a dashboard for all the errors that your app is throwing. And you can set up notifications for them, like send it to me, you know, like like I only want one email, not a thousand emails when this happens. Or, you know, email me again if the severity is higher or whatever, how critical it is. All kinds of stuff like that. It's just it's just vital stuff that you have to have uh, in your web app. So, so you know it's it's and there's just a million more features than that. That's just the base level stuff. It's just my pitch to get you to start using error tracking software like Rollbar in your app because it's just good for you. It's like high fiber cereal. Uh, that's Rollbar.com. Thanks again. All right. Well. So it's it's you know a lot about these things. <laughs> you're pretty you're a pretty good ambassador for for all these APIs. Is that is that all you th- is that your role? Do you th- are you thinking yeah, about other I mean, things as well? Uh, yeah, I um I eat a good lunch. Uh, <laughs> I think what else I do at the office? Um, no, I yeah, it's I sort of am supposed to be on the lookout. I do a lot of outreach, you know, dev relations type stuff for uh for Edge. Occasionally write some code there, and the whole point is I'm I'm trying to you know figure out how can we collectively push the web forward. You know, and so when I hear or when I, I, I regularly go out and, and speak with people, Chris, you and I met at conferences, Dave, I don't think we've had the pleasure yet. Um, but 
it's I get to speak with you know great developers like you guys or like anyone else that I have the you know opportunity to meet and hear what what's crappy about the web today you know what makes our jobs hard and then work with uh, you know my team with the Chrome team with the Mozilla team to make the web a better place and to make it you know it's easier a, and better a good amount of websites. moving parts here is that it's you you need to get. I don't know. You need to get our feedback, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you need to bring it to your job mm-hmm. who's interested in solving those problems but can't do it alone. Yeah, no, because absolutely. Because they need to do it through a standards process. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a huge it's a huge complex beast. I mean, you look at like a Jake from the Chrome team, he's, you know, was having a celebratory treat, tweet recently because Safari announced they were doing service workers. Jake was one of the big right. original proponents of service workers. And that was, gosh, I think a five-year journey at this point, four-and-a-half-year journey. Yeah. And it's still not even shipped everywhere. It's just everyone's even committed to it. And it's a, it's a Herculean task to do something like that. And, uh, you know, it's a and he, uh, it really is celebratory because it's actually kind of good for everybody, right? Like it's a win. Yeah. He works for Chrome and it's a win for mm-hmm. Chrome that Safari ships it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, weird. no, it, it definitely is because, you know, I, I've given a lot of conference talks on progressive web apps or service workers and almost inevitably there's someone saying, well, what about iOS or what about, you know, iPhone mobile? Because, you know, in the U.S. especially, it's a huge portion of people's web traffic. Um yeah. And so, you know, everyone wants that to exist on on the iPhone and <clears throat> with it finally shipping in WebKit, hopefully it will be on, you know, the iPhone within the next uh, before the heat death of the universe at least. Pretty big <laughs> you know, deal. We finally have a thing, yeah. Mm, uh, Cuz a lot of what it can do is it, <laughs> I, mean, I know that theoretically it's this all-powerful thing like Houdini mm-hmm. or whatever, but I think the 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 top use case in service worker land is all the offline stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, service worker is kind of the backbone that powers everything from, uh, you know, push notifications to background syncing to make sure you can, you don't have to, you know, when you exit Gmail too quickly and it says like, are you sure you want to leave? Cause your email's still sending. You don't have to see that anymore. Cause it can just continue to send in the background after you've closed the tab. All those things are ultimately powered by service worker, but the huge win and the thing that most people probably use service worker for is just having a website when you're offline, you know, have some kind of a content still be there and be able to still engage users. It's, it makes for a much, much better web browsing experience and is definitely something people should be shipping on their website today. Basically, I mean, even if it's just your blog, you should be looking into adding a service worker. Is, uh, we didn't mention, or you, you mentioned progressive web apps, mm-hmm. but Safari hasn't committed to the full... PWA installable web app spec, or it's not even really a spec, I guess, but just that concept. Mm -hmm. But having service worker means all my, uh, like you said, all my offline, all my caching, all my background syncing, Mm -hmm. all my kind of push notification funnels that I have created for Chrome and Firefox Mm -hmm. and edge is not at for loss on when, when Safari finally shift. Like I don't have to build something separate for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the big messages that I think everybody at all the browsers have been saying for a while is that you shouldn't be waiting for Safari to ship this. You should build it now so that when, you know, you, when Safari does ship it day one, you're already done. You know, you're there, you're ahead of your Mm -hmm. competitors. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, what's great about having standards is that if you write it to work in edge or, you know, Chrome or any other browser, it theoretically, if it's done well in other browsers, just works there. 
And so, you know, simple cases like offline caching should just work everywhere the second they start shipping a service worker implementation. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a really exciting possibility for the future. I, I build a lot of little toy applications all the time to keep my kid, he's a year and a half, uh, entertained uh, when we're on like long car trips or something like that and where I have spotty cell service and it's awesome to be able to, you know, hand him the, uh, an Android phone and be confident that whatever toy that I built him continues to work regardless of whether or not there's a cell tower within the next couple of miles. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. What about the, so I, you mentioned push notifications are a part yeah. of the service worker thing. Is, is that, we don't know the answer for that on Safari, right? They, they, may, they may implement service workers and skip that. So there's a great website that Jake actually put together called, uh, I think, isserviceworkersready.com or something along those lines. Um, if you Google that, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, a, it's a tracking page for um, all the different p- parts of service workers. And while Safari doesn't have any, notif- any uh, comment that I've seen, at least publicly, on uh, push notifications on mobile, they definitely already, they were the first to implement push notifications on desktop. They've had them there since, I think, 2012. Mm. Uh, and so it is definitely a possibility they could have it, it they just haven't commented one way or another if it'll be there on mobile um there's certainly uh you know different people have different opinions on push notifications and whether or not it's abused more than useful and things <laughs> like that and so it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out but you know if you build your progressive web apps in a progressive manner using you know progressive enhancement that is uh you'll really be able to you know have have push notifications if they exist and if they don't well you can still use web notifications where you know, if you open up twitter.com uh, and you, while you're on the site, you might have a little pop-up that looks like a push notification, but they only exist while the tab is open or, you know, there's all kinds of different options you can possibly have, even falling back to say email notifications uh, if pop-up isn't there. So there's a bunch of options and hopefully Safari implements all of them. But we didn't really define the PWA thing, but when we say that we mean progressive web app and maybe that's how we could end the talk is to sure. do the PWA checklist kind of thing and see what would be, what's what's how all these things relate in that in that world sure yeah the pwa or progressive web apps um is just kind of a buzzword so that we all know what we're talking about kind of like responsive design it's not necessarily a set exact thing it's just sort of a rough concept so that we're all on the same page and that, mm-hmm. so you can kind of sell the concept to your boss and one of the big pieces of that is a service worker which basically just gives you offline access like we said and a whole bunch of other uh contexts and then there's a uh, few other pieces, stuff like the web manifest. Uh, web manifest is great because it's really straightforward. It's um, uh, just a JSON object as a file with a whole bunch of metadata. So you know when you create a new website or an old website for that matter and you start putting stuff in the head of the document, it's just a, a whole bunch of meta tags over and over again, like your mm. Apple icons, your title, all that junk. Uh, what stinks is that all that stuff gets shipped on every single page every single time. So there's no way to be, you know, it doesn't ever change, but it's still bloating up your website. And so a web manifest is a single line that can be added to your head that has all of that content in it, and it can be cached. And it can be all this different metadata that the operating system or the web browser can use uh, for installing your web application, your progressive web application. So it has like the title of the website, a description of it, um, icons, so that it can look pretty on as many different platforms. I mean, so possible. that seems easy. It's just yeah, some, no, it's, it's some it's JSON big easy. deal, right? Ship yeah, that. no, I, okay. I actually made a website. Uh, it's called Web Manifest, like webmanafee.st and if you go there and put in a url it'll you can download a web manifest for that exact url today okay so that's a two-minute job 
Oh gosh, yeah. If and that's if you're using FTP or something like it's, it's if hopefully you can do it in 30 seconds. It's it's sure. a really really thing, and anybody can ship that today because there's no failure case. If you add that link tag to your page to add the manifest, don't remove no, your title fails. tags yet. No, yeah, leave your title tags absolutely. But I'm just saying you don't have to add or remove anything if it okay. if it's there, it works. Um, what else is there? There is well, there's it looks like there's a checklist. HTTPS. That's not. I mean, it's yeah. Of course, it's going to be a pain in the butt for some of you. It's been the pain in the butt for every site I've ever worked on. But you just do it and then it's done and then you got it and it's a good idea so you should do it anyway. So it's like one of those things that's like even if it's not a PWA you might as well do it. You know, like Absolutely. Yeah. It's 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 a requirement for almost all new browser APIs too. So you, you should be get on it sooner rather than later. And there's other stuff on this list. It's uh, it should be mobile friendly. Uh, okay. Yeah. Check. You know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just should yeah. load fast. Okay. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, there's not, there's not, it's this, it seems like a big scary thing, but it's, it's kind of like, just do good things for your website. And, oh, now totally. you have a PWA. The heart, I guess the service worker being the hardest thing. Yeah, no, I mean, and even then service worker, there's a great project called uh, service worker cookbook, uh, which I think is again, service workers with a dot RS domain, like service work or uh, dot RS. And, uh, it can give you all kinds of different examples of how to dif- how to do different um, service workers on your website that you can nearly copy and paste, and it just works. Um, there's uh, also if you're you know as you're developing it and you want to know more about how you're doing, there's some great tools. Uh, there's one called Sonar. It's a part of the JS Foundation that was built by some of my uh, colleagues at Microsoft, and it's a way to kind of scan your website um, as you're building it to make sure that you're doing stuff in an accessible and um, secure manner, like it'll you know make sure your SSL keys are you know in good standing and not using bad ciphers. So that the whole point of using HTTPS is that it's secure. It makes sure that it's secure. Does all kinds of really neat stuff that, with that. Uh, Lighthouse is another great um, project that's actually built into Chrome now. It's built by some Google people that'll scan your website and give you kind of a score from zero to one hundred on you know are you meeting all the different metrics of a good progressive web app or a good website today. And that, you know having those numbers just in your back pocket is a really good idea and understanding how you can improve and what you can do better. So that, I mean, I think there's a, there's a something big, a brewing here, which is that think of all these APIs all together. There's the, all this PWA stuff we just started talking about, which is like, if you do an amazing job with this, God, your websites, it's, it's absolutely competitive with the mm-hmm. native app or better because it works everywhere and you only had to write it once and all that stuff. There's absolutely, this, all this yeah. web auth stuff. So like this, it's not that big of a deal that, that, you know, native apps can, can store your login. That's, that's great. That's so every time I click the Facebook login, I don't have to friggin' log in every time, which I would <laughs> exactly on the web without that kind of thing. And, uh, and payments being such a big deal and, and, I don't know, performance getting so much better on the web and this Houdini pushing things forward faster. The Mm -hmm. web's already moving faster. I think the where we're headed here is that like there was a there was like a danger period where it felt like the web might just lose to native apps and that's still there, but there's all the work is being done and the future very much looks like you'd it seems like building for the web is a really smart move. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like when I worked at Walmart, we had a native iOS app and the checkout experience where, you know, where you made your money was still on the web because we were able to iterate faster. We were able to do stuff in a more responsive and quick way compared to, you know, Cocoa and other iOS technologies. It, the web is absolutely competitive and, you know, it's it's where I would put all of my money for the future of all of them. See, that's I think that's, I a, my money. that's a, that's that's a big deal. Like if this went down in a different way, like we're living a part of history, like if, mm-hmm. this, if these if these APIs didn't come together, how they're going to and these phone calls weren't scheduled for companies mm-hmm. to be talking to each other and if d- be a developers very different world yeah yeah absolutely yeah and all this is possible because you know service workers exist because there were people that were really upset that they couldn't have a faster website or an offline website and they contacted you know folks at the google team and they can do that with any browser if there's problems on the web we want to know we want it to be better and you know you don't have to work at Facebook or Twitter or any other major website to do this. It can be, you know, any any website. If you're a web developer in high school right now, without anything, and you, there's a problem on the web, reach out to me on Twitter. I'm Patrick Kettner. Everywhere developers win in this world because it's a lot easier to do our job, and it, and and consumers win because they can. Now we're back to competing on. You know, phone manufacturers are making nicer phones, mm-hmm. not Absolutely. not competing over the technology inside them that makes the apps work. You know, which is great for consumers. Yeah. So, so you're saying if me, a web developer, has you know some problems or ideas, mm-hmm. I should just reach out to browser people. I mean, you can, you certainly can. Um, like Patrick. Okay, <laughs> Jessica, clear my schedule. Uh, this show's going an extra hour. Yeah, no, I, I love to. That's my job. I love hearing people's complaints. I love hearing the, uh, you know, as long as they're polite enough about it. Um, but I'm happy to make the web to get better. If anybody wants to help make the web a better place, feel free to reach out to me or any other, you know, web person. We really, we're, we're starved for feedback. We want it. So please give it to us. All right. Well, we should probably not oh, wait, wait, wait. jump into all the APIs we want. Um, uh, <laughs> I have a Twitter. Um, Open it up. Container queries. Oh. Oh, jeez. Oh, Gosh. Okay. Uh, do, you, what, do you want me to go into container queries? No, I do not. Oh, just, Let's just, stop just, that. Okay. It was funny. There was just a funny Jeremy Keith post from the other day that, that browser vendors like you and like you just got done saying were all this like, give me feedback. We're starved for feedback. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. And then we're like, okay, container queries. And they're like, accept that. Any, I mean, <laughs> no, I'd be, yeah, I'd be, I'd be, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy to give feedback on that at any time, but I think we're going to run long. Okay. Yeah. Next right. time. Well, okay. well, thank you, Patrick, so much uh, for coming on the show. How can people follow you, give you money, uh, download that edge browser? Oh gosh. Uh, uh, I don't need money. I'm paid very well at Microsoft. Uh, you can find me at Patrick Kettner at any, uh, any social media platform, uh, K E T T N E R. Uh, yeah, you can keep your money and give me your feedback. Cause I love it. And it makes it easier to implement. All right, great. Well, thank you very much, and thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast or choice. Be sure to star heart favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. And uh, if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you. And Chris, do you got anything else you'd like to say? Shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>